This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. North America, Europe, the Commonwealth, the whole of the Middle East. The world is listening. The last six months before the military operation was wonderful in terms of the image of Israel here in Britain because of the vaccination rollout. Um, I, I didn't have to, you know, work hard as an ambassador because everyone was so impressed from the way Israel was going out of the pandemic, and people were appreciating the Israel digital healthcare. Sipi Chotevelli's honeymoon period as Israel's new ambassador to the UK didn't last long. Dominating the headlines was Israel's world-leading vaccine rollout as she took the reins from Mark Regev here in London from August 2020. Then the fourth Gaza war ignited wicked anti-Semitism in our streets. fight at the battle is not just Israeli or Jewish. We all need to fight it together. And I think the fact that um, all people were arrested, I know that uh, the British government and British police being very active around it, um, is, is a good place to start. But this is not the end. We need, we need to do more in order to fight anti-Semitism. And I know the Jewish community is very much concerned because no one experienced anything like that in Britain. And we need to make sure that Britain will be the free democratic country that it stands for its values and not a country where Jews are afraid to go to school or go to synagogues or to look like Jews. Tsipi Chotevelli is Israel's first female UK ambassador. She was born in Rehovot in 1978, the daughter of Soviet Georgian immigrants, ardent Zionists. As with previous ambassador Regev in episode 31, we talk about social mobility in Israel, the dynamism of the economy. Tragically, There's anti-Zionism among young Jewish people across the West, in the US, and here too. Heads are being turned by media and peer pressure. And while 75% of American Jews support Israel as a Jewish state, 85% say it's important or very important to stand up for the oppressed or marginalised. Hundreds of Jewish Google employees rejected what they call the conflation of Israel with the Jewish people. Overbearing anti-Israel narrative makes bias out of balance. Palestinianism, cheered along by half-wit football wokery and TV celebrities. And Her Excellency has a message for those in the diaspora who are less than supportive of the Jewish state. The young generation in, in Britain uh, can sometimes be very critical about Israel's policy in certain fields and areas. But I think that most Israelis have their own opinions. Like, as you know, we're, we're, we're a country that everyone can criticize the government. Uh, but I think by criticizing a policy, you cannot just go and not support Israel. Supporting Israel is one of the most important things that I want to make sure that every youngster here will feel he's proud of Israel because there are so, so many things to be proud of. The media she faces here is hostile, and she says viewers don't really get the full story. Part of our work is really to address uh, lies, provocations, things like that. But I think we cannot put ourselves on the same level, because eventually when it comes to um, the average British person, Mm -hmm. I think the average British person is not anti-Israel. It's a minority that is vocal. Um, most of the people in this country, they can appreciate the fact we, we, we both are 
democratic countries, we share, we have shared values, and this is an important thing to remember. And you know, sometimes when I get to see people are protecting uh, the worst enemies of the West, not just of Israel. Um, I think that something went wrong. And there's a worrying story not making headlines at all. Durban 4, a 20th anniversary commemoration of the first Durban conference against racism, which descended into hatred, anti-Semitism, and the birthplace of the modern language of delegitimization of Israel. Stay tuned for her thoughts on that. She yearns for peace and won't let the more pragmatic word of normalization get in the way of pursuing peace. Let's talk with the Palestinians, she says. We can even park recognition of Israel for now. Jaw, jaw, not war, war. The Palestinians can choose to do what their brothers uh, in the Gulf did and to say they want to have peace with Israel. Uh, in order to achieve that, we need to have direct negotiation. We cannot achieve that by uh, trying to take the Israeli soldiers to the International Court of Crimes and to say they're committing war crimes. You cannot achieve that by having uh, a terrorist organization that is fighting with Israel and wants to eliminate Israel, like the Hamas Charter is speaking about. Um, uh, it's, it's ambitious to have Islamic State all over um, the land. So those are the real barriers. And I really hope that we will have the right leadership like we had in Egypt that will come and say we want to have peace with Israel. I wanted to press Her Excellency on the Oslo Accords and the two-state solution. She preferred to accentuate the positive. 2020, the year of the Abraham Accords. Determined yet approachable, friendly yet fully engaged. Here is Israel's ambassador to the United Kingdom, Tsipi Khoteveli. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen. For those who are willing to listen. Ambassador Tsipi Khoteveli, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. I'm really excited to be here with you. And thank you very much indeed for inviting us to the Israeli embassy here in London. Uh, tell me about the importance of the London diplomatic hub for Israel. It's a frontline embassy for the Israelis around the world, isn't it? I, I think it's the best definition I heard, a frontline embassy. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's important to understand that London has both the historic connection, the Balfour Declaration, historic of, the, you know, all uh, the Zionist movement was uh, born in the United Kingdom, in, you know, in Manchester, uh, Chaim Weizmann, all, all those one wonderful, wonderful stories we grew up uh, as part of uh, the Zionist movement, um, you know, the fact we really um, had the British government's help in, you know, establishing a Jewish home. And from the other hand, um, today, as, as modern Britain, uh, we do have a very special connection when it comes to security issues. Uh, the British-Israeli alliance on security and intelligence is really close, I would say even intimate, and it's, it's second to the United States with its importance. And I think that today, because the challenges are huge and because um, the British people made a decision about Brexit, the UK has an opportunities um, with uh, making the trade relations with Israel even stronger. Now, at the moment, you are a third trade partner, um, which is something really important for from Israeli perspective, but Israel can be much more significant also to British economy if we will um, add a level, uh, an ingredients of modern technology, which Israel is, um, I would say, a superpower when it comes to uh, be, be a technological hub. So I think having those pillars, history, economy, 
and security, and of course, one of the five largest Jewish communities around the world, um, serving here in the United Kingdom is, is a great privilege. Israel's great leverage is technology, and Britain's great leverage, I think, is the English language. It crosses boundaries like uh, no other. One of the inspirations for setting up Johnny Gould's Jewish State in English English was my experience of working for the BBC World Service and realizing that the power of English really crossed around the world. When you talk in English, Ambassador Khoteveli, uh, it reaches so much further around the world. I absolutely agree with you, and I can tell you my experience from the last military operation in Gaza. Israel was under attack, and uh, the front line, uh, of course, was British media. And I went, and, and I think thanks to um, the embassy's good work, we could have you know, um, outreach all British important uh, talk shows and interviews. And I can tell you the impact was dramatic. One of, one of the um, Sky um, interviewers in Australia made a comment about interview I made here in Sky and was actually criticizing some of the criticism about Israel. And uh, it was brilliant to see how, um, you know, it, it becomes like international discourse, not just here. Uh, so definitely Britain has a power that is much bigger than, you know, just another European country. Uh, it's, again, part of the Security Council and, um, you know, being uh, such a powerful economy. Um, this is another thing that makes Britain so unique. And again, English, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, you are an interesting appointment because you are a political character and this is a diplomatic world. Were you, were you surprised by your diplomatic appointment after your career in frontline politics in Israel? I think I st I'm still in the front line, but now I'm doing it on an international level. So yes. for me, it's even climbing on a higher point in the ladder of serving my country. And one of the things I enjoy saying that um, I, I enjoy so much of, um, you know, representing Israel. When you are a politician, you're representing a sector, no matter how big is your party. And now uh, I'm really, really happy to represent the state of Israel, which is much bigger than any political party. And I also think that um, when you check my background, I, I didn't start it as a politician. I started as a jurist. Um, I had a few years uh, writing and being a commentator in Israeli uh, newspapers, in Israeli uh, television. So my experience was serving my country with my skills in the best way I could. So every time I get an opportunity to serve my country, I say yes, and I'm very happy for this. Sounds great. And of course, uh, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson was a journalist in the... Uh, <laughs> In Brussels as well. Yes, you're, so you're probably the only country in the world that has a journalist as a prime minister. <laughs> and this is something to be proud of. <laughs> so you can write your own headlines but, as well. But the truth is the new Israeli um, you know, foreign minister, which is supposed to become a prime minister, was also an ex-journalist, right. as you know. So maybe Israel will be after. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we, shall, we shall see. Yeah. And your own background as well. In the same way that I asked Ambassador Regev, he took great pride in telling me and our audience about, and this is my own experience, um, limited though I am in Israeli society, I've lived in Britain all my life, is how flat Israeli society is, in the sense that he was 22, he had no family, he was Australian, he barely spoke the language, he came here to Israel and built an, an amazing life and got to the very top of Israeli society you know, after being a student, and, you know, your background, obviously, you are a Sabra, uh, but, but it's a flat society, isn't it? Anyone can do anything there with the right 
talents. Uh, absolutely. I think what, what I realized is we, we, we need to appreciate more um, Israel's social mobility. Um, I think my story is a good representative of that. Uh, I'm a daughter of immigrants, people that came from Soviet Georgia, and uh, my grandfather was a great Zionist. Uh, I always like to say that he was one of the first Jews that came from Soviet Union. Um, actually, the Georgian Jews are the one who opened Iron Gate by appealing to the UN and asking and demanding their right to come back to their homeland. So I grew up on a very Zionist, big Zionist legacy. And I can tell you that when... I grew up as Israeli, as a modern Orthodox Jew as well. Uh, I can tell you that I never experienced any kind of, uh, I would say, any barrier when, when it comes to showing you know, my abilities in academic world. Uh, uh, I, was, um, I finished um, law degree with dis- distinction and every, every stop in my life, every step that I made, I always felt like Israel gives me full opportunities. And as a woman, I can tell you, and I'm being posted here as the first woman being ambassador, um, this is also something that shows about the strength of, uh, of us as Israelis, the fact that um, I feel like as a young woman who's representing uh, you know, 50% of Israeli population by being posted here in London, it's a great achievement to be the first woman here in London. Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. There isn't a fertility rate problem in Israel. Um, For instance, there is in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's, uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that, to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Johnny Gould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. You're also the first mum, <laughs> as well. well. There were and, dads. You know, we, we, we there's that, and there and the first family woman who's got to look after young kids, and someone's got to take the kids to school and 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 give them something to eat and <laughs> make Shabbat and all these kind of things. I've just interviewed one of uh, Britain's top entrepreneurs, a pioneer from the 1980s. She said she was only one of two female CEOs in the country and seven across Europe in the the late 1980s. And, you know, whatever feminism has achieved, whatever um, new platforms have, have been created for women in these intervening 30 years, the 
pressure for a female entrepreneur, a female ambassador, a CEO is ever present? I think it's great to give a role model to young women and to say uh, most of the time people are, are saying that women can succeed uh, as long as they don't need to really um, make a balance between life and work and family and stuff. Because when, when women are young, before they have their children, uh, usually everything is very easy. And when the kids are growing up, it, it becomes back again very easy. But the most difficult years, I would say, are the, the years where the children are very young, they need a lot of attention, and they need both their parents being active around it. So uh, the fact that throughout my political years, I had my three children, I got married as a Knesset member, um, I had a very, I would say, a very big wedding because of that, the whole country was invited, basically, <laughs> and then uh, all my three daughters were born uh, while I'm still... In, in Parliament and being a minister and a deputy foreign minister. Um, I, I remember having the, my, my third one when I just got back from China because I was uh, you know, going on traveling abroad and got back and went to the hospital to give birth. So, uh, so it is a very challenging thing, uh, but I think that um, when it comes to being ambassador, there are some benefits because I have a lot of help. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that throughout the years in politics, my family was giving a backup. My husband was wonderful all the time. He was supporting my service. And we, we see that as a family service. And today, that when he decided to support my decision to come to London, and he, he was a partner to this decision because you cannot move a country without having um, you know, the father of the children being involved. So uh, my husband, Orr, is very impressive uh, with the way he was, you know, being part of it. So he's part of my life when it comes to our big, we call it shlichut in Hebrew. What's the best word in English, I would say? Shlichut is like serving the country, but on a higher level of meaning. National service. It's a national service, yes. We see that as a national service. So I, I get help. You cannot do anything by yourself. No, exactly. We need a team. Now, on behalf of the Anglo-Jewish community, I'd like to thank you for your speech and appearance at the recent Kensington rally uh, for the British Jewish community, uh, we celebrated um, Israel in the way that uh, we always do. As Zionists, we don't need to fight the police. We don't need to free people and talk about all the other things that you hear from the other side. But this is an arrival here that, that puts Jews under a great deal of pressure. It's, it's a very, very difficult time. It's a new level of anti-Semitism when you can look out your window and be loud hailed from a convoy of cars, and, you know, bears well lock yourself up in your house. Um, Ambassador Regev always reached out. His ambition was to go to all the synagogues in London and around the country as well, and I think he nearly achieved all of that. But this is about actual physical, physical presence with the Jewish community here. As you say, it is one of the biggest in Europe and in the world, and Jews feel embattled. Yes, uh, I, I can tell you I was shocked to see um, the anti-Semitism that looked like, uh, I would say, an old-fashioned of anti-Semitism. Mm. We always say that the new version of anti-Semitism, being anti-Israel, is something we need to address, and the British government is helping us to fight that. But I must say that uh, I was totally shocked to see those horrible uh, statements, hate language, hate, I would say, hate crimes, when um, a rabbi was beaten up just mm. because he looks, he looks Jewish. Uh, one of the things uh, we see as, as something that is on international level is fighting anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism is a disease of any society that w when it comes up, 
it shows um, that the fight and the battle is not just Israeli or Jewish. We all need to fight it together. And I think the fact that um, all people were arrested, I know that uh, the British government and the British police being very active around it, um, is, is a good place to start. But this is not the end. We need, we need to do more in order to fight anti-Semitism. And I know the Jewish community is very much concerned because no one experienced anything like that in Britain. And we need to make sure that Britain will be the free democratic country that it stands for its values and not a country where Jews are afraid to go to school or go to synagogues or to look like Jews. Mm, indeed. There are celebrities here who go onto their Instagram or Twitter accounts and say things with one of their eyes covered over. They syndicate ideas to millions and millions of people. I'm going to name them, Gary Lineker, Stephen Fry. They say things which are not helpful. Uh, in the case of Stephen Fry, he has Jewish uh, ancestry. Is there anything that you as the ambassador or the embassy here can actually do in confronting celebrities who have 7 or 12 million followers? I think uh, the foreign ministry in the last years uh, this made a decision to... Um, make sure that public diplomacy will be also part of the work that ambassadors do. And part of our work is really to address uh, lies, provocations, things like that. But I think we cannot put ourselves on the same level because eventually when it comes to um, the average British person, mm-hmm. I think the average British person is not anti-Israel. It's, it's a minority that is vocal. Um, most of the people in this country, they can appreciate the fact we, we, we both are democratic countries. We, share, we have shared values, and this is an important thing to remember. And, you know, sometimes when I get to see people are protecting uh, the worst enemies of the West, not just of Israel, um, I think that something went wrong in between, you know, really horrific things like Hamas is doing, using children, Arabic children, as human shields, uh, firing into Israeli cities, schools, kindergarten. Um, people cannot stand for that. And when people are accusing Israel, they're, they're forgetting the West's history of fighting those horrible terror organizations. It was never clean and clear. I mean, when you're fighting a cruel terror organization, the, this terror organization is using his children as human shields, so you cannot have just this um, you know, a sterilic war. And you need to, I think, we need to make sure that when it comes to um, this fight against Hamas, against Iran, those radical extremists, we need to have the backup of the majority of the people who are silent. Uh, I think, again, we, we cannot be, be misled by celebrities. We need to remember the majority of the people understand Israel is, the, is a democracy and the only country in the region who is a democratic country. It's always important to restate that. And I think, by the way, um, the last six months before the military operation was wonderful in terms of the image of Israel here in Britain because of the vaccination rollout. Um, I I didn't have to, you know, work hard as an ambassador because everyone was so impressed from the way Israel was going out of the pandemic and people were appreciating the Israel digital health care. And today we work together with the NHS on uh, sharing practices about digital health. This is amazing. Uh, we, we actually used the pandemic months in order to build another pillar to our relationship, our bilateral relationship, and extend health cooperation, which is life-saving cooperation. Indeed, it was one of the most pleasant podcasts 
that I made with uh, Ran Balisa, uh, wonderful, and uh, Colonel, exactly, Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, Jake Wallace-Simons, uh, David Jones MP, uh, he, he came on board as well, and it was a way of celebrating Israel's world-class COVID vaccination rollout. I'd like to move the discussion on to your career as the former Minister of Diaspora Affairs. As I was growing up, there seemed to be a disconnect between young Israelis and the Jewish community. So we all recognized the state of Israel. We loved it. And when we got to Israel, uh, we were asked, why do you support Israel? Um, a genuine question from young Israelis. What do you mean, why do we support Israel? You know, um, there was a kind of idea that perhaps they thought they were on their own, that maybe in the 70s and 80s, Israel was perhaps too much of a secular society. So in your role uh, as the Minister of Diaspora Affairs, is this a conscious attempt to use your experience to kind of draw the Jewish community of the world together with Israel, the fact that we are all, you know, one team? We absolutely one team. I think that we, we are brothers, first of all, before everything else, we're a family. And I can say that um, the fact that Israelis don't uh, know enough about mm. diaspora Jews because... Israel is, uh, is a country that has so, much, so many issues going on all the time that sometimes we don't look outside. But it is important that we will look on our brothers in the diaspora and to make sure that we discuss each of the groups need to share with you know, the brothers and sisters what are the things that are most painful issues uh, for the other group because sometimes we don't have the same agenda and each, each one of the groups has its own, uh, I would say, priorities about things that matter and we need to create like a common discourse about things we all care about like Jewish identity mm-hmm. like the future of, uh, of Judaism in the diaspora like the connection to Israel as an issue that has nothing to do to the Israeli government po- policy this is something that's very important to me as someone who is very much concerned about the young generation um, the young generation in, in Britain uh, can sometimes be very critical about Israel's policy in certain fields and areas. But I think that most Israelis have their own opinions. Like, as you know, we're, we're, we're a country that everyone can criticize the government. Uh, but I think by criticizing a policy, you cannot just go and not support Israel. Supporting Israel is one of the most important things that I want to make sure that every youngster here will feel he's proud of Israel because there are so, so many things to be proud of in the way Israel has become from a very tiny, uh, almost, uh, uh, I would say, a country that no one believed that will survive in the very few years that Israel was established. And it was surrounded with enemies. And we, we continue to, to, you know, to try to achieve peace, and we achieved peace during the years, like with Egypt and Jordan. And just the last year was uh, a really big breakthrough with our world, with the Abraham Accords. And we keep on fighting to have uh, you know, freedom, democratic values in order to make sure that this great uh, Zionist enterprise will remain there forever. Uh, and I think that uh, for me as someone that um, uh, can, can see how history was without a Jewish state, we cannot have the privilege not to be proud in what Israel has achieved. Amen. I think <laughs> we're going to just uh, take a moment to say amen about that. And a spin-off of the Abraham Accords, we'll come to that in more detail in a moment, is that uh, Jordan harmonized its airspace 
agreement with Israel to become a little bit more like an Abraham Accord country, such as the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Sudan even. And so now that you don't have to fly over somewhere like Cyprus to get to a place which is just south of Jordan, which is a benefit perhaps of uh, the historic deals, historical deals that we had with uh, Jordan and Egypt, which predated the Abraham Accords. First of all, the relationship with Jordan are really strategic and important, just like with Egypt. And I always say that we, we have now new friends, not instead of our old friends, but as addition to. And our, our old friendship are really important for us um, from you know, all, all aspects. And we would like to see the benefits that all nations around us, all the, all the region will be thriving from those peace agreements. I can tell you that uh, the good news about uh, the Abraham Accords is also an uh, economic pillar. So um, I, we will say it will bring more um, economic ex- exchange and businesses and technologies uh, that will go between the countries and also people to people, exchange like tourism. And, and I think that this thing will inspire our close neighbors like Jordan and Egypt. I really hope that the peace will be warm like we're experiencing at the moment with the Gulf countries. Indeed, and we've seen a tax treaty signed with the United Arab Emirates. Uh, I love the word normalization because it's a realistic word. It's a word where normalization can lead to cooperation and business together, technology, uh, joint ventures. It's a, a, a real way of talking about peace. It's not like a pop star's way of, you know, pieces for pop stars, but normalization is a, is a tangible something which leads to peace, isn't it? It's, it's very interesting because normalization is a, like um, a description of a process, but I think the word peace is still very important. I, right. think, I, 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 I think that we cannot undermine the importance of peace because um, especially with the history that Israel had with the Arab world, the this refusal to recognize the right of, of the Jewish people to get back to their homeland, the fact that for many years um, some of the Arab countries didn't want Israel to exist, and now you can see more and more Arab countries want to embrace Israel, want to cooperate with Israel. They see Israel as an asset, and they see Israel as part of the solutions of the region and not as part of the problems. Uh, and we, we do together cooperation also against the extremists and the extreme powers like the Iranian regime. And it's ambitious to have and reach nuclear weapons. And together, when we have all this uh, on the table, we, we can see how Israel made this shift uh, from a country that many neighbors don't want to be in the Middle East, on, on the Middle East map, to a country that people want to cooperate with do business with, do more cooperation with. So I, I would say peace is big, and I think we need to uh, address this normalization with this big word that uh, is actually happening, and I hope that more countries will join the peace circle. I certainly hope so too. And as the former Minister of Settlement Affairs, how do you assess the Abraham Accords? How does this advance of a new normalization with countries uh, come together? We've had such a wonderful process. How does it benefit the Palestinians now? Now that we've got a new government in the United States with a new emphasis on the JCPOA, there aren't new countries signing up for the Abraham Accords at the moment. Uh, Things have changed once more. 
I think we still have a very high motivation. We've seen it, um, all the statements that the foreign ministry was doing, the foreign minister, the new foreign minister. We want to continue with normalization. It's part of our goals as a country. Uh, of course, if more countries, even countries like Britain, would like to help and push forward this amazing thing, uh, I, we think it's, it's a positive thing that more countries will um, be in this momentum and to encourage more countries to join. But you asked me about the Palestinians. The Palestinians can choose to do what their brothers uh, in the Gulf did and to say they want to have peace with Israel. Uh, in order to achieve that, we need to have direct negotiation. We cannot achieve that by uh, trying to take the Israeli soldiers to the International Court of Crimes and to say they're committing war crimes. You cannot achieve that by having uh, a terrorist organization that is fighting with Israel and wants to eliminate Israel, like the Hamas Charter is speaking about. Um, uh, it's, it's ambitious to have Islamic State all over um, the land. So those are the real barriers. And I really hope that we will have the right leadership, like we had in Egypt, that will come and say we want to have peace with Israel. And Ed Hussein, whose latest book, Among the Mosques, A Journey Across Muslim Britain, discusses how the Muslim community's relationship with wider Britain will play a huge part in Britain's future. And he believes in the Abraham Accords to effect change for young Palestinians. Reality on the ground, Johnny, is changing. Mahmoud Abbas can scream till the camels come home. But ultimately, the reality on the ground is that young people that I meet in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, and indeed those coming out of Gaza, have been to the crossing, go and speak to everyone. You meet them and people just want to move on. A young generation is sick and tired of this. You know, this is the internet generation, this is the Twitter generation, this is the Facebook, Instagram, and the unknown app generation. And polling done by the Saudis and others tells us that those young people want to be part of the global economy, do well, contribute, and have their dignity back. Many of them in, in, in Eastern Jerusalem are, are more content living under Israeli rule than under, un, yeah. under you know, Mahmoud Abbas's West Bank um, dictatorship. Now, when you take questions from the media here, it is quite hostile, actually, and I say that as a supporter of Israel watching it. I'd like to pop in and edit the question a little bit. Uh, you know, that it, it, it perhaps declares a slight misunderstanding of the situation. Perhaps in the name of balance, uh, Sky and the BBC might actually address bias. And so how do you deal with a hostile media? How can you turn them around? How do you win hearts and minds? Is that just too big an ask for an Israeli ambassador? I think I think this is my duty to to win hearts and minds, and uh, it's important to understand that uh, when I go on television, I speak to the people who are sitting sitting there at home, and sometimes they they are um, having I would say uh, not the full picture. <laughs> let let me put it this way. And sometimes uh, when when um, the media, the in, in general, the international media, uh, is describing um, how much the Palestinians suffer. We need to, to tell the story. The reason they suffer is because their own leadership is, is using amounts of billions of dollars being invested in Gaza, and they're turning it into rockets, and uh, they're building a whole, this metro city that was built by Hamas, this uh, underground city, um, was all to protect the leaders of Hamas, this 
terror jihadi organization that wants to eliminate Israel. So people need to hear that. And uh, people need to also hear about the Israeli experience because while the media is busy with you know describing in, in one-sided way just how much certain side, like the Palestinian side, is suffering, there are millions of children in Israel that cannot have normal life, and they're, they're being uh, terrified by the, those terror attacks. And some kids are, you know, in post-trauma in Israel, uh, kids of Sderot, the kids of Ashkelon, um, that, that it has a, a horrible damage to, to their childhood, only because the terror organization is, you know, using um, um, the, um, the, this horrible, again, as I said, this horrible leadership of Hamas is, is using and misusing the children, both in Gaza and in Israel, um, with not having any value to human life. And we, we do value human life, and we do value uh, loss of life, no matter whether, whether it's uh, Israeli or Arab. And we want to call the international community to make sure that the Israeli sound will, will be there to protect its children, because that's what we're doing. Can I ask you about Durban 4? Because I think we're horrified as British Jews in this country at what is essentially a, an anti-Semitic fest. Uh, the Durban 1 um, sort of launched the idea of BDS, etc., the language of delegitimization. Um, well, I completely agree that Durban is not a place where um, you know, a fair picture has been presented, and it, it's definitely... Um, nothing that America wants to be part of or Australia wants to be part of. Um, so I, I would say that it's, it's counterproductive to um, continue those anti-Israel festivals. This is totally counterproductive to any good goal people want to achieve. When I was here last time, Ambassador Regev uh, discussed uh, growing trade, security, and military cooperation with the UK. Ambassador Khotevelli, can we have an update about the state of the relationship between our two countries. You touched on it before. It's very intimate. Britain is, of course, now an independent nation, not dissimilar in its way to Israel, uh, trying to secure its own borders, etc., its own currency. What is the state of our uh, relationship? Uh, I think the fact that um, we, we keep on having a very close dialogue on security issues is a matter of life-saving. And thanks to this cooperation, uh, many bad and evil plans didn't come out. And thanks to this cooperation, life was saved. And we would like to um, take, I would say, all what we have uh, when it comes to our abilities in intelligent and uh, fighting terrorism, together with the British very, very high quality intelligence services, and keep on cooperating. And also when it comes to security, because uh, the, the commander of the Royal Air Force came to Israel, and we still have this, um, I would say, security cooperation on the highest levels, and we keep on having it even during COVID time. I think this is an incredible thing, that even during COVID time, we still continue to have high-level visitors and representations like, pres like, like Minister Gov, that came to Israel uh, discussing, you know, uh, green passports and green corridors uh, between the countries. And we had just Secretary Rob coming to visit Israel. I, I just went to Israel together with um, the foreign, foreign secretary here. So you, you, get, you get to see by this kind of ongoing uh, visitors, high-level delegations, high-level and also very close dialogue, 
how much uh, we do together in order to you know, bring this level of security cooperation to its highest levels. And I want to have the same in trade. Can I ask a personal question? Yes. What, is the, what does the future hold for you, not just in London, but uh, as you look at uh, the tectonic plates of Israeli politics uh, moving on? I mean, you must still have frontline political ambitions. Uh, you must also, of course, miss Israel. Um, you're, not gonna be, you're not going to be here you. forever, are you? I'm here for three years. Uh, I really hope to do my best to strengthening Israel-Britain uh, relationship and to be very close with the Jewish community here, which is very dear to my heart. And I would like to see uh, Jews coming to Israel soon. I know everyone is excited. When are you opening the gates to tourists? And I really hope it will happen this summer very soon. And uh, I can tell you that with the new government, I hope the policy will change around, won't change and it will be around July. I cannot make a promise, but I, I really hope that this summer we can have all Jews coming and visiting Israel like they want and also tourists. And when it comes to my personal ambitions, uh, I won't lie to you. I'm a very um, ambitious person and I would like to serve my country in really in the best way. But I will wait till uh, I'll finish my job as an ambassador in order to continue do my national service. Whatever it takes to you know, bring my skills to help my country, I will do. And I don't think it's about this role or another. It's really about serving the country. Ambassador Tsipi Choteveli, thank you very much for joining me on Johnny Gould's Jewish State here at the Israeli Embassy. Great, and it, was, it has been really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash johnnygould or click on the PayPal icon on the donations page at jewishstate.co.uk or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee at coffee.com slash johnnygould. That's ko-fi.com slash johnnygould.